Yo, 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 welcome to another round of In the House. We have a very special guest, Paul, founder of Black Moss Comics, uh, uh, BMU, Black Moss Universe, um, just a huge interconnected world, fantastic writer, producer. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Roderick. Uh, so I'd, I've been following your work. Um, you you have a pretty extensive lineup uh, of characters <laughs> <laughs> and, and and titles coming out. Uh, definitely been <laughs> been strong in the game since you got started. Um, before we get into that, tell us a little bit about how you got started in making comics. Um, I mean, you know that's a good question. This has really always kind of been just a. In the Shadows passion project of mine. Uh, I grew up in the early 90s surrounded by great comics, great characters, you know, X-Men, X-Force, reading through the DC stuff, just having these great influences when I was growing up. But I always wanted to be able to create my own characters. It was just, I was inspired by what I was reading. Um, however, never really being an artist myself, I could just, I would just sort of create these templates of characters and add the the features that I wanted to them, and then uh, come up with big origin stories and backgrounds and power sets and things like just for fun, just as like a hey, this is something creative I can do. Um, and that you know that passion never really went away. So as I grew up, this was just sort of in the shadow, something I would do, you know, once a month or a few nights a week if I was getting really into it. But then it would always get put on the back burner, and so. I, I just pocketed it for a really long time. Um, but when the pandemic hit and we were all forced to sort of change the way we look at things a little bit, I dove back into this and, you know, looked at my characters from when I was 12, 13, 17, 18 years old and thought, this is something that maybe I could do something with. Um, so I, by 2020, got the idea to sort of post some of my random character creations online, see if there was anyone out there that did this sort of thing. You know, my naivete, I didn't even know if someone, someone would draw these guys. And yeah. there was a good response, and the rest is history. Just kind of been working at it since then. Well, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, one, that you, you kept those things from when you were a kid. Like, you, you literally had, like, boxes or, like, like uh, folders of, of characters from when still like for yeah. the original yeah, three, three ring binders <laughs> with little uh like sheet protectors that is so I just have my sections of characters that's that's so interesting one that uh that you had it down down packed and organized at such a young age and then two that you were able to keep track of that stuff in your in your older in your older age <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point yeah, but but um you know good fortune that you did um and which leads me to kind of to like the you know segue and like okay what well, now what now that you knew you wanted to do this um what was your your yeah. process for taking those characters creating story behind it taking those characters um um building a narrative behind them and 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 all the way eventually until okay. until publishing your first book with these characters sure sure that, no that's it that's good um so really it started, you mentioned I have a bunch of characters and this sort of, there's a lot going on here and that's true, uh, but I tried to develop every character to be three-dimensional. You know, it wasn't just height, weight, and what they look like. It was who they were before they got their powers. What, 
motivates them to use that particular weapon or why did they you know manifest their enhancement in a certain way so i went really really deep with each and every character before i ever even wrote a script and then i sort of inserted those individual character storylines into a world with one big grand idea um and so taking all of these characters, I, I needed a way to, to separate them and have them occupy different parts of the world and different you know spheres of the universe so we could see everything that was going on in this big world. Uh, and that's where the eight different titles came from was my desire to insert these characters into sort of a, a real world setting, but different parts so that it would reflect the world that we live in. So would, would you say you kind of, each character you really spent time on as if they would be the main character in, in their own uh, in their own story. Yeah. Not only their own story, but their own world, their own universe. That was sort of the desire to make, to flesh them out so well um, that the storylines in essence write themselves. You know, I think great characters with great individual arcs make for the best overall stories. Okay. So, so tell me, give me a little overview. What is, what are the, some of the titles uh, what are the titles okay, so, in the universe? Um, in our universe, we have eight titles that are interconnected. The first, we published uh, a zero issue in early 2020 that's called The Frozen Circle. And that takes place in the Arctic Tundra. So what's happening in that title is where there are these people who see the Arctic as sort of the last vestige of untrammeled land, un, you know, capitalized upon territory and so there's all these criminals descending upon it and there's a group of people who live in the arctic call it their home and they're fighting back against sort of this environmental tyranny if you will um so that's the first title then we also have fox force which takes place in western europe we have uh agents of eden which takes place in the middle east and is a really interesting look at you know, if superpowered beings actually did step onto Earth and walk with us in our everyday life, what would happen to the organized religions and sort of the faith bases of the world? How would that affect believers throughout different religious principles? Um, so that one takes place in the Middle East, but then goes all over to sort of address these supernatural faith conflicting threats well, I, I mean, we got we got a pause there now Paul. <laughs> <'Cause> that, <laughs> that's uh, okay, okay. That, that's uh, um, one that's uh, that's already a really a really rich um uh, kind of overview of, of these of these different different worlds and, and stories within a story um agents of eden you know definitely definitely stands out you know as you get that religious um religious connotation um, give me give me some character. Give me some give me some characters that are in that world a, a little bit deeper. Um, dive into okay. Into that so one. we uh, we released the first full issue number one of Agents of Eden in late twenty twenty. I want to say um, it was our th in our third book that we published, and we focused the first issue on one of our main characters, probably the main character of this and his uh he's called the last templar and his backstory and what we sort of follow the journey we follow in the first issue is 
his sort of journey through time, uh, we see him with, we see a group of Templars during the Crusades, during the heydays. Uh, after that, when sort of they, they had different challenges, then when they were hunted, and then we sort of see the, the Templar organization fall apart throughout time. But we follow this main character who's having visions of all of this happening to him. Um, because part of his deal is that he, um, excuse me, is that he is a member of this order that that breaks from the traditional Templars during the Crusades because of some horrific things that are happening. And as they, they've taken this oath, as they go through time, whenever one of them falls in battle, their life essence is basically passed on and uh, split equally across the rest of the order. Now, I, so I got to tell you, like, that was the Agents of, of, um, Agents of Eden. That was one of my first, um, like, visuals I saw of your characters. And, and oh, was it really? I believe I believe I I'm fairly sure. Um, um, Sikansi did some work on that one as well, or maybe a character design. Um, he did. Uh, we had a draw this in your style contest. He did then, two versions of the Last Templar that were beautiful pieces of work. Yeah, that that was it. Actually, that was that was my first um, exposure to yeah. Sikansi's work as well as as well as your uh, as well as your work. Um, and, oh wow! Yeah, and and it was just just an incredible visual of this this knight um, with all the traditional garb of of the Templar, but just 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 uh, rich embellishment of of, of, of lethality that <laughs> 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 really took it to a whole nother level. So, no man, I'm glad you. Yeah, I'm... we actually used we used Sakansi's design from that contest in a portion of the book. Okay, I, w- I, w- I want to double back to, to some of Sikansi's work and just, just um, working with arts in general. But tell me, yeah, um, yeah, I think a few more, Wardens of the Wall, Raymond's Realm, and then Iron Tide, which I definitely want to stop stop again, lastly. Yeah, yeah, so sorry, to finish out the titles, after Agents of Eden, we've got Raven Realm, which takes place in the Pacific Northwest, uh, deals with a lot of indigenous culture. Wardens of the Wall takes place Southwest United States um, and down in Central America. Saharan Rain, which takes place in Africa, which is, we, that was our most recent title. And then Iron Tides is what we have going on right now. Okay, so it does, it, the, your universe kind of is spanning the globe, and there, um, there's, some, there's some depth and, of storytelling characters at each kind of kind of regional. Um, Absolutely. They all uh, really operate as their own independent series, um, but there is an interconnectivity to it throughout. But then we also sort of all titles will come together at the end of what we envision as the first season, the first big issue arcs. So you, Iron Tide is is the live Kickstarter now. Um, tell me, correct? Tell and that me, is go ahead and tell us a little bit about that one. So just revisiting uh, the artist we were just talking about, Stanislav Mokalani. He is the one who did all of the interior art for this book, and I mean pencils inks and colors he did the entire book and it is gorgeous i mean just from an art standpoint his style is so phenomenally unique um the lighting and the shading that he's able to bring to each page the dynamism that he can use when translating a script i mean i feel incredibly privileged to have been able to work with him on this title 
I mean, we do, I mean, we do as well. I mean, Royal House, um, he did our second release um, for Dombey, Song of the First Butcher. Um, uh-huh. and, and every panel literally is, is a masterpiece. Every single individual panel on a page uh, could be blown up in, in like poster art. Uh, type of type of quality um so yeah i know i i saw i saw his signature all on this book um take us in take us into into what's going on I, um, uh, if you're listening definitely look up iron tires and, and check out the kickstarter um for those that are listening uh what can they expect yeah please take a look at that if you get an opportunity uh this honestly has been one of my it was one of my favorite books to write and it's been one of my favorite books to see executor um it gets to be honest with you this one gets a little dark in the first four titles that we produced we, we focused a lot on the heroes or what we call enhanced positives uh the individuals with extra normal abilities that sort of have a benevolent meaning and in the last four titles we focused more on the villains or what we call the e negatives um and those that sort of exist on the the evil sort of the moral (laughs) spectrum Um, and so in Iron Tides we tell the story of two orphaned girls from very different walks of life Uh, one Baozai was the third child a female in a family in northeastern China that was abandoned um, very early on and learned how to live in the streets until she was taken in by the headmistress uh, and her Sister, uh, Hasumi, was part of a very wealthy family in Japan, but when her parents were mysteriously taken from her, um, she had no other options because little did she know that her family had been ostracized from the rest of their very large wealthy clans. She had no family, no nothing, and she ended up at the school of the headmistress as well. Uh, These girls endured (sighs) pretty significant trauma, uh, and abuse at the hands of Headmistress Chow. Her, the school was really a front for prostitution, catering to the, the wealthy sort of oligarchs in the area. Um, and then, so we, so we spend time in this book experiencing their life at the quote-unquote orphanage, uh, and then after that period in their life, we jump forward a little bit, take a look at the hands, and then we spend some time with the sisters after they've manifested their powers and and they're they um a lot of panels that that you have uh advertiser promoted and there's a lot of action it's just it's you know steep in in combat um which leads to i think very... it's a pretty well book uh, to be honest with you. there is a lot of action but it balances well with the with the drama and the backstory really. mm, okay so uh maybe maybe so you gave us a little bit of, of the backstory. Maybe, maybe give us um, some insight into the actions, like you know, powers. And then uh, I do want to double back to to this hero versus villains, just general you know, writing concept about about creating good conflict between the two. But uh, I'd love to hear about the powers of of the girls okay. in Iron Tides. So <clears throat> what we wanted to do again, sometimes this came from a a younger brain, but because I was consuming this comic content i was always looking to do something sort of different you know and uh and unique and so i looked a lot at just stuff in the real world that may be overlooked to get inspiration um i don't 
I don't, I don't like some of the big stuff. I will probably never have a speedster in our universe. Um, <laughs> we are not going to have an archer. I can tell you that much. And we really, if you look at all of our characters, we don't have a, an omnipotent, like Superman God style character either. I just, I like having things that are based in reality and more accentuations of already existing things as opposed to just these super fantastical things. Hmm. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, uh, take us a little more mechanically. Like, is it, is it hard magic system? Is it so soft, for, soft magic system? So for, like, these characters from Iron Tides, you know, I looked a lot at their story, and when I was fleshing out these characters, there was just a part of uh, their story where I thought it would be neat. Uh, with Hasumi as the younger sister, Keratin as the older sister, giving them power sets that were, or origin stories that were sort of hard and soft. Um, and just so that you can have that duality when telling the story. And so Hasumi was, you know, to navigate these tr this trauma that she was experiencing in the school, she got really into uh, origami. And it's what she would do to pass the time. Or when there were men in the house and she was having to avoid meeting with the headmistress she would do origami and then she would always present these things to her sister um as like a hey i'm thinking about you whereas kirtan was always the the hardened one she was older she got to the school earlier suffered abuses with no one there to protect her and so she while very brusque and rude and combative always took care of and protected um Hasumi. where and so her little only respite from this hardened life was when she was able to get outside the school bounds and visit this local village and there were pangolin that lived outside this village so we took those ideas from their their character backgrounds and then the enhancement all the enhancements that occur in our universe have something to do with the person in some way so uh Hosumi became fold uh, a manifestation of her origami hobby mm. uh, where she's you know made out of paper basically and then can transform her corporeal form into anything else that she wishes you know anything that she could fold actually as an origami piece she can manipulate her body to become so we see her transform into a lot of cool stuff uh, throughout yeah, the series definitely and, and then keratin sort of took on the, the hardened attributes of the pangolin you know the scaled skin the armored plating um she's got you know long long toenails sort of this this reddish brownish look to her uh and then you know the ability to roll kind of like a pangolin put itself in a ball um hmm. and so we we sort of adopt those attributes and figure out how we can make them work in in one-on-one -on -one conflict that's that's sweet it, it's sweet because the power set is all the way um, inter intertwined into into the character's personality and their upbringing and and uh, it seems very well thought out uh, i i wanted i wanted you know dissect your your approach to writing really quick and i did want to mm -hmm. kind of backtrack into this this whole concept of good versus evil and right sure. and and writing a good conflict that um you, you know i i you know, that's maybe not tired. It's maybe you know, maybe there's a new twist on on the tropes. Like, how do you keep your conflicts interesting, and 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 give some some depth to the to what's usually the villain or the evil side? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, I think it all starts from, and I apologize if I start sounding like a broken record here, but I think it stems from the characters that you create. You know, if instead of just saying, I've got a guy with cold powers because he fell through a lake, you know, you have to go all the way back and figure out what he was doing on the lake, why was it important to him, you know, why... You, you have to build the whole character. How did he grow up? What did he do? And, and then that informs sort of design choices and uh, story arcs. Because if you have a, a full character that you know the majority of their life, you would know how they would react in a certain situation. You know, you know how they would respond. Are they going to be violent or are they going to, you know, take a more sedative approach? You'd know that based on their background. So I think if you write the characters really well, then you can insert them into a story that you'd like to see happen. You know the beginning, you can mess with the middle, you know the end. Insert those characters that you've fleshed out completely, and then they're doing the writing for you because you know exactly how they would interact with one another. And oftentimes that makes for just really good dynamic you know, dialogue uh, and helps push the story along. Um, give me, what is your, what are your thoughts on, on just this, you know, the setup of the conflict as well, as far as like, think of, think of like Shonen where, you know, you have these mm -hmm. real stark shifts in the character, like he's good and then he has a redemption. Um, you know, the, the hero is, you know, always kind of leading the, you know, leading the, the moral, the morality, you know, even as a young boy, the, the adults are, are inspired by this young hero. You know, it's kind of that shonen, you know, that shonen uh, uh, rhythm. And then you're starting to get to like Marvel, where it's like everything's like gray. <laughs> you, you, you know, everything's like super gray. Like the heroes, like they started the whole thing, or like you know the villain, like they dive in so deep, where like people are like. Uh, Wanting to understand why Thanos snapped fifty percent of the of the of the population away, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like where how where do you like to you know your playground? What kind of shading do you like your playground to have? To be honest, I do like it a little bit gray. Um, gray just feels more real to me when you're sort of looking at morality from a black and white point of view. It gets it does. I think it creates more conflict, but maybe not the right kind for storytelling um, because characters are real. I mean, it's not, if you, if you're writing something that's so starkly contrasted, it's not sort of reflecting the, the world that we live in. And I, I think that can be fine for some fantasy settings. Um, but we definitely like to explore that, especially in the iron, uh, in the agents of Eden title, you know, morality is a big part of what we're, exploring in that so we have some characters that are extremely black and white um and then we have other characters that are very very confused and i think it's that gray matter that can create the small tensions between characters that turn into larger conflict hmm. um that's, that's awesome I, I really like that take uh, uh take me in into into the the touch points for some of this conflict and like how you write action versus maybe mm -hmm. how, how you set up you know action or set up you know you know um, the whole rhythm of, of a comic book and in, 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 sure. from beginning to end I think it really depends on how you want your 
comic series to be set up because it can very well be episodic. Um, and I think writing an episodic series is a lot different than writing one that flows all the way through. Uh, you know, in in a serial series where you're doing one at a time and they're all individual stories, you have to set it up with pre-existing knowledge, the individuals that are disagreeing over something, set up the, you know, the prelude to the conflict, the big conflict, and then the resolution. You need it all to fit into one book. Um, whereas if you're doing it more from a, a constant trip or a flow standpoint, you can have books that are all drama, or you can have books that are three quarters action because it's carrying over into the next book. Hmm. I want to, um... so we, we tend to do it in the, in the, in the carryover way. Like, uh, we set up specific arcs. So, uh, Fox force, the Fox force series issues one through three are one story arc. So we sort of set the tone with a little bit of action in the first one. It slows down a little bit in the second one, a ton of action in the third one, and then a resolution. I, I mean, that that's, that seems, um, you know, for an individual book and series, that seems complex enough, um, difficult enough, challenging enough for, for many writers. How do you also start integrating and setting up characters and arcs for a shared universe? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get I get one of those moments in every podcast, man. <laughs> a, qu a question where the the interviewee is like, "Oh, like," so it seems like a, a, a um, it's a really put take some thought and and really because that's what that's what we're kind of learning from you. Um, you you built yeah. you built this this very expansive uh, um, um, universe, and each story is, is super rich. You you've really kind of laid that out for us. Um, what's your process to connect in a man? That's, that's, I guess that's the, um, if, when you execute it, that's really the achievement. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I hope we get there. You know, I'm really excited about this next new title that's going to come out in early summer and that's our eighth one. And that will be the capstone on this whole big universe. Mm. You know, it's felt if for the last two years, there's just been <clears throat> growing, 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 and there's no, <laughs> there's no finite stopping point. So I'm excited to have, the eight number ones done and then be able to continue working on them. Cause how I viewed it from the very beginning, you, I think you have to have, if you're building a universe of this depth, you have to have specific immovable events or moments in time. Um, you know that X needs to happen in this series. Y needs to happen in this series. Z needs to happen in this series so that all of this will make sense at the end. Um, I've always envisioned this as about eight to 10, maybe eight to 12 books for each series, um, at which point the crossover and the interconnectivity is going to get very rich. Uh, and then we will have a six book sort of full crossover all on, under one umbrella where there's this, the end of what we envision being season one happening. So if I knew we needed to get to that specific immovable place in time in order for the crossover books to happen, I could sort of backfill into the story back to other moments in time that needed to occur. So I imagine you have like this wall of like uh, what looks like a, like a 
a police board when they're trying to figure out like the bosses. Do you have like this connect, <laughs> <laughs> this string connection yeah, that, here and here? That Charlie Day meme <laughs> with all the red string. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's super cool. <laughs> I, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot to keep track of. Now I still have, I have those same three ring binders from when I was a kid. But it's all separated out by series. So I, when I'm writing, I can sort of flip through and say, okay, when will this character from Wardens of the Wall potentially need to interact with this character from Agents of Eden in order for their, you know, arrangement or their attitudes toward each other at the end of the series to make sense? Are you using any um, any writing software like Scrivener? Or are you just kind of working off of Google Drive? Do you how do you organize like your writing? Um, like I don't. I'm uh, I'm old school that way. So I'm on, well, Google Drive, uh, you know, I have a, um, the we collect, we transfer to get all of our art in from a lot of different people. And then all of my scripts are just basically through Word. Mm. Um, so just... You self-publish, you have, you have your own website for distribution? Uh, our website is in the works right now so we don't have that yet we've been selling only through kickstarter uh, instagram facebook and then retail but we hope to have that website up and running by the summer okay so how, how have, have um you, have you felt like your kickstarting strategy is um you, you're pretty comfortable with it what's your like your marketing what's kind of your process for running a successful kickstarter You know what, Roderick? I wish that I was better at Kickstarters, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. We have had, uh, if this one, if Iron Tides goes through, we will have had seven successful campaigns wow. in the last two years. Wow. But they've all been for relatively moderate amounts. Um, and they've all been, none of them have just blown up and taken off. And that's the strategy, the marketing deal that I can't quite crack yet. So there's there's obviously certain things that you have to do when you do a Kickstarter. You have to diversify where you're advertising. You can't just be on one social media platform. Um, you know, you have to get it out there and you have to you have to be kind of annoying for a little bit. <laughs> to be honest with you, you have to make sure that you've got those relationships in place uh, within the community that you've built enough of sort of a following and a feedback loop for people to be genuinely interested in your work. Um, you know, you're only getting a very, very small portion from each social media platform. So even if you've got 4,000 followers on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, maybe three, 5% of those will translate to actually backing your book. Um, so you really need to have a full portfolio of of connections, the right people, the right community. Mm. That's, that's really important. I, I, I've seen, I've seen young up and coming artists, you know, be successful. I've seen seasoned artists fall through a crack here and there, and maybe you know their Kickstarter mm -hmm. campaign, you know, wasn't successful, even though they've they're, uh, you know, have already reached a, a level of success in the industry. So, I, I, I do think it. I, right. I, it seems like like. Um, as new artists, as new artists and creators come in, there's always like this, this uh, company of people that have done it before, that want to speed up the learning curve, <laughs> yeah. right? Or, or you know, yeah. ha be crit you know, even be crit crit criticism is is fine and it's helpful and it's it's necessary, um, but there sure. is there any way to like eliminate the learning curve, 
Like, I don't think that's like ever, ever happens, right? Like, like as much as somebody's like, oh, do you mean, no. just listen to me, youngster. Like, uh, just do it like this, this, and this. You know, then yeah. I throw. Oh man, it's that easy. All I have to do is just listen to you. <laughs> like, like what is what was that learning curve? Are you still in it? You what know, are, I, I think it's important to reach out to people and companies that you admire or that inspire you or that have done it before. Um, because most of the time, most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, even these big publishers or big creators that look like Goliath are just really nice people and will talk you through it to some degree or point you in the right places to learn how to do it. Um, so I would say talk to, talk to people that you've seen do it well and the vast majority of the time, they will give you some degree of advice. Mm-hmm. And you just have to keep learning. I think the market and the industry changes nearly weekly. You know, there's something new and different where the algorithm on social media has changed. Um, but the first step is to just try. Just do it. You know, you just have to actually put some effort into it if you want to see some sort of return. Tell, tell me a little bit about... Um a black moss comics the team um you're, you're the you're the writer do you have anybody that you bounce ideas off of or an editing process uh your artist how, you know, do, you, how do you connect uh, with your artists so there's there's a, a few things oddly enough my wife uh when we were first dating uh we actually would draw characters together and come up with ideas together um, pull pull at my heartstrings, man. That is the most romantic <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> it was awesome. And yeah, then, bet. you know, doing that got me hooked, mine, and sold. That's so cool. Um, so I talked to her a lot about the books. Uh, and we, she's even developed some characters. I mean, Chaplin from Fox Force was all hers. And I just added a few little things on there. Uh, Crowfoot from Raven Realm, all hers. So she's really a big, a big part of this. Um, but then I also, over the last couple of years, have met some great people through social media platforms and bounce a lot of ideas off of them. Um, one of our main artists, Diego, I met two years ago and we've been working nonstop since. And he's become more of a, a part of the Black Moss team than just a contracted artist. Mm-hmm. So he and I talk quite a bit. Um, you know, Sakansi and I have always been able to bounce ideas off of each other, even when they don't have to do with the projects that we work on. Um, I've got an amazing letterer in Chicago here in the U.S. that's great. He was one of the first people to draw one of my characters when I was first, first getting started. Um, and now he letters all of our books. So it's independent from the mindset of, you know, it's, I created the characters and the universe and the storylines and I write all of the books. Um, but the artists that we work with, and we try to get different artists or colorists for each title, just to give them different styles. Uh, but the artists that we work with in our letter are huge, huge parts of what ends up going into the whole Black Moss universe. I have a, I have a, I guess like a business philosophy question for you, sure. and, and it's not really like a you know a right or wrong answer because you see a lot of companies that will go deep on one series and and mm-hmm. you know one two three you know four four titles are coming up you know and they're just exploring this one universe and yeah you have 
companies that, that build wide pretty early, like, like I said, almost philosophically and as a strategy for their, for their success. Um, sure. You seem to have, have built wide. Um, yes. But you're, you do have a goal of getting, getting to that, you know, you know, three or four series for each title. Uh, what, what is, what was kind of the, the, the thought, the thought behind that from a company standpoint, not necessarily a stand, a, a storytelling standpoint, but uh, how do you sure. feel like that was best for, for black Moss comics? Um, the, the honest answer is I don't necessarily know if it was, <laughs> mm-hmm. I see, I see a lot of creators out there, artists out there being very successful with one, one series, one book, even, even if it is meant to become part of something larger, I am seeing a lot of success behind and especially from a crowdfunding point of view where, you can start with one. If it's even marginally successful, then on the next crowdfunding, you can offer it and the next one. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, so by your sixth, you know, your sixth campaign, you've got all this this material that you've already produced, and you're just crowdfunding basically the sixth one, but you can sell all six. So I see it benefiting people in that way. Um, for Black Moss personally, I think that I got a little. I let my emotions get involved in the business side. Because as I was looking at all of these characters, I didn't feel as though I could do them, as though I could put, you know, some of these great characters on the back burner for years while I developed just one series. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just doesn't, you know, to making comic books takes time and money and effort and... Being able to put out, you know, two, three books a year is a great, great way to do it. And and I think that's fantastic. And it would be nice to only, you know, do yeah. two a year. Um, but if I had done two a year of Agents of Eden with The Last Templar, who's a great individual character, um, who's got a, an amazing design, a wonderful backstory, could have seen it being a very successful singular series. Mm-hmm. You know, that means... And I, I, I see 10 books coming out of that. So in 2025 is when I would get to start my next series. Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't, when you have a universe or a world this big or a story you're trying to tell or whatever you're trying to do, um, it ends up becoming time if you don't. I, I wanted to do each one so that they could be ongoing series, basically. Well, yeah, and I, I think, I, I don't think it's a, a one-size-fits-all. I do... I think it's a common, um, uh, a common like like, I won't say criticism, but like a lot of a lot of successful creators will recommend that you focus on one. You know, uh-huh. uh, right uh-huh. away. But then I think you see some that do that when they when they hit the point, they then they have to go wide, or they got to figure out a way to expand their universe. So they eventually right. they do have to create some breadth to their to their world That's or storytelling. Um, I and Royal House always wanted to be like Marvel. It was never designed to be, you know, one story. And we have like three or four teams that work on separate stories. That's why you'll look at our at our content and you might say, man, they're working. They're working like really wide. You know, why don't they focus? (laughs) Then realize that these are individual teams that are that are going deep on on one one or two projects. Right. So people don't always know like what the what's on the, the back end thought process like we're doing games royal house is doing has a mobile game and I, i'm getting that's so cool yeah man I, I i thought it was pretty cool it's part of really just just owning the brand of don bay um 
Sure. But I do get criticism and I always want to, you know, weigh it and, and value, you know, reevaluate my own strategy. Um, and, and I'm always thinking like, man, and like, like you're right. Like, I don't know if it's work. I don't know if I made the right decision. Um, <laughs> how okay do you have to be with that feeling and keep pushing through? You have to be, you have to be okay with it because it won't go away. You know, in this industry, which is very crowded right now, not everyone is going to see success right off the bat, if ever. But if it's something that you truly love doing and that you're passionate about, you kind of have to push that that anxiety or that questioning out of your head. It doesn't help you to worry twice. Mm. Um, you know, so if you're just in your own head, I'm not, I'm not doing this right, or having self-doubt, don't think about it like that. You know, you're putting something creative out into the world. The world and the people around you will never be the same because they've seen something that only you could produce. Um, so you have to think about it in terms of not letting the criticism in. You know, if you wouldn't take advice from the person, don't take criticism from them either. Believe in yourself and, and keep pushing forward. Uh, I, I don't think anyone gets this immediately. Yeah. Give yourself time to be successful. That's uh, you, you left a really, a really good amount of powerful nuggets in that. Um, I, I I want to take back take us back to um, the me- the mechanics of the Kickstarter that you have live right now. What's mm-hmm. what where the what are the tiers like? What what, are, what have you okay. learned that you're applying in this this Kickstarter that's running? Uh, this Kickstarter that run that that's running, we we keep it pretty simple to be honest with you, because I want people to be able to focus on uh, the story and you know the content as opposed to all the stickers and bookmarks and you know little tiny posters that sometimes don't don't have much mm. value to them. Okay. Um, but for us, we're you know we're offering we have three different covers. Uh, for this campaign and then each different cover comes with a trading card and a sticker uh, and that's sort of the f- well we, we offer a digital tier obviously and then the next tier is these three different covers uh, with different accessories to go with them we do offer one where you can get all three covers uh, signed by me and then all of the trading cards all of the stickers we do have a black moss mega bundle where you can get this title as well as the eight previously published titles. Um, And then we have one sort of a higher tier where you can get whatever covers you'd like for Iron Tides, multiple Black Moss books, stickers, trading cards, a sweatshirt. We do have a poster available of one of our characters, Keratin, uh, versus a a villain from the book. Uh, And then we also have these really, really cool cosplay body paints uh, that a user did for us of keratin and fold which are very cool so we have video files and uh pdfs of, of those i saw that I, I saw that i thought that was super creative um a lot of indie. yeah she did an amazing job it, it was it, yeah it was, it was it was spot on and and definitely led me i already follow you but definitely led me to like interact with you know with that with that content sure. and just you know was stood out from the rest of what was on my feed you know and, that's and cool we got the I thought the keratin one she did was really cool, but the next one, Fold, uh, she just sent me. 
Someone who hosts and that's doing it. And it is. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you you do that, and then you do. I I learned about you from one of those you know one of those contests, and you still. Uh, you, you had one recently that Sakansi uh, joined in again. Um, mm-hmm. How important? How important is, is is that stuff in building your brand and getting awareness out there? I think it is a big deal. You know, with these social media apps, you do have to play, for lack of a better terminology, you have to play the game a little bit. Um, and they, there are certain things that work really well, and there are certain ways that you can engage people. You know, one of the biggest mistakes people make is just posting something and then not interacting with anyone about it, not responding to comments, not taking messages, you know, not following up on the interaction that's being made. I have met so many fantastic artists and fantastic people who have just happened to see something, commented, and then naturally I'm drawn to it. I look at their page, blown away, you know, some diamond in the rough. And they get to work on one of our next books. So I think it's, you know, that's how Sakansi and I met. We met through Instagram. Um, and we've been working together for almost two years now. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think it's important to participate in what you've got going on. I, um, I, I, I do see, it's kind of frustrating this. But also you see those, 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 those creators that somehow they get the golden ticket. They, I don't know if they just... They hit a they hit a, a pan. Their first Kickstarter hits. They you know they they grow right away. Um, they're ta- they're tapped into something. Others and yeah, man, I'm looking for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, like like uh, but you also see those they they reach success the old fashioned way too, right? And yeah. and and grind it out and build their audience yeah. and and you know they go viral at the right time. Uh, I bring that yeah. up to kind of you know talk about like the end game for black moss and like what what is a level of success and, and let me tee it up by, by by kind of just talking about royal house like i learned from my models like you want to for somebody that you drive to your website you know how much can they spend like <laughs> you know you drive to your website and they can only yeah. spend two dollars right like if, if they if they've gotten to your website they appreciate your content like you said they you've put something in the world that has enriched their life you know can do you have yeah. three series can they spend 30 bucks, 40 bucks, you know, the goal is for us to have 10 titles on our, on our website in, in two to three years, 10 super cool titles. Yeah. That, that you, you know, if you get there, you can buy a bundle and, and make it and really like, you know, dive into some of our work and it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good value, but you can spend a good, you know, 50, hundred bucks that are in our website. Yeah. And, and once we get there, then it gets just to marketing. Like now I'm just trying to get a thousand people to my website, 10,000, a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. What is it? Can I go viral? Like what are, what are the different strategies I can do to drive traffic? <laughs> but I think indies are so yeah. like apprehensive about doing things the way the big boys do them. Or like you want to do marketing on the cheap always, or always want to do it yourself. Or like think you yeah. think you're the master. You can learn on a weekend course how to do something that a business major has spent for, you know, eight years learning how to do. What, what is, what is, what are your thoughts on that? And what's your end game? I think there's a difference between doing this for a passion and doing this as a business. And I think that it's important for people to decide what they want to do before they really, really start investing and getting into it. Because if you, if you just have fun, you know, making a couple books 
here and there, sharing them with your friends, giving them to family, whatever. You can just say you did it. Then that's a whole nother story. Then you can just sort of sit back, relax, make five books over five years and call it a day. Um, if you want to, you know, we're still working on this kind of stuff too, but if you want to turn a profit, you have got to go and take those courses and you've got to go and learn from people who have been in business and you've got to go and learn from creators who have done this and who have found success and have turned that financial corner. You know, it's not just, I, you can't bank on just going viral. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to see success, you have to put the work in, you have to grind. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, a lot of work, a lot of work for us left to do. A lot of work, <laughs> lots of hats, you know, if I, and I think the big part of that is you can grind really hard on the art, on the story, on finding, you know, the right people to be part of your team on building back house relationships and things like that. But it's, it comes down to the, to the sales and the marketing mm -hmm. in the end, you know, you have to play that game if you want to find and a modicum of success you know as much as that sucks that's the part that unfortunately a lot of creators writers and artists need to work on to take it to the next level yeah i mean yeah and i think a lot of a lot of a lot of amateurs and i'm okay even calling myself i mean we're thinking <laughs> yeah. about like think about your 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 best rapper that's you know on the circuit of he's you know the underground circuit or the best comedy comedian that is still you know playing in the clubs right like you know the local clubs yeah. um there's there's this always um there's always this stage of of, of becoming in between yeah. you know made it amateur professional like those things kind of enter you know kind of bounce back and forth uh, yeah. um, you know often so i guess you know kind of just just leaving us with like um you know for for royal for royal house like we understand you know the things that we're putting out aren't going to be as good now as they are in in five years, likely. Like we're as a team, sure, yeah. our, our artists are getting Always better, our writers are getting better, our market is getting better. You know, in five years, I want people that are seeing us for the first time are going to see the whole package. Yeah, and, and yeah, we're just sure. barely scratching the surface of our market. Like, how do That's you awesome. how do you feel like like um, what's what do, what do you feel like will get you to that point? Like, what are you working at right now that you I feel mean, like is going to be it? I kind of feel I kind of feel the same way as you, and that is, yeah, sure we found some success, but just wait. You know, I kind of <laughs> feel like I'm building the foundation right now. And while the last two years have been fun, and we've gotten you know seven book or uh, eight books published, yada yada yada, that's just the beginning. You know, and that's the the. And I think if you want to find success, that's how you have to do it. Is these are all building blocks to uh, a next step. Um, you can't get too concerned about if everything is a hit, if you're building something big, you got to believe in yourself and believe in the product that you're putting out there. Awesome. Hey, hey Paul, leave us one more time with, with how we can support you, how, how people can find you if they're listening in and just hearing about black Moss for the first time, yeah. where, you know, where can they go uh, learn more? Absolutely. So uh, first, Roderick, I want to say thank you so much for ha having me. This has been awesome. It felt natural to sit and talk comics and always fun to get together with someone else in the industry. Awesome, man. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And if people want to get a, a hold of us, so we're on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and just recently TikTok as much as I <laughs> begrudged it. Um, That's too And it's weird. just uh, at Black Moss Comics. I'm, I'm very responsive on uh, our accounts. You can purchase books through us there. We have a Kickstarter going on right now for Iron Tides number one. Um, so if you just type in Iron Tides on Kickstarter, you can find that. The link is also in the bio of uh, all of our social media accounts. Um, and please feel free to reach out. I'm very available and uh, will happily answer questions anyone might have or just talk comics. We will have a website up and running in the next, uh, I want to say, two months. And that will just be blackmosscomics.com. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you guys heard it. Definitely check out Iron Ties Kickstarter. Paul, thank you. Uh, Black Moss Comics is, is hot. I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And, and definitely, um, I'm going to have you back on and follow up on some of this, on some of these worlds as, as more titles are coming out. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Let's make it happen. Thank you so much. All right, man. We'll see you guys on another round in the house. Take care.